You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. So I want you to think back. I want you to think about your spouse, or I want you to think about your best friend, whoever, whoever's the person that is closest to you in your life, right? Who you would call your best friend. For some of us, that's going to be our spouse. For others, uh, it may not be your spouse, but uh, maybe somebody else, right? If you're not married yet, I want you to think about your best friend. And I want you to think back to when you first met that person, uh, what that was like. For some of us, it's going to take us back quite a ways, right? I, I have a hard time picturing my life without uh, my wife in it. But there was a moment, right, where, where I didn't know her and she didn't know me. Here's a, a picture of my wife and I from uh, airport. We were traveling to uh, Florida with some friends, and, and so airport selfie, you know. And um, we've been married for 26 years. We have two kids. Here's a picture of our family from earlier this year. So that's my daughter, Morgan, on the left. Um, she's a junior at Metamore High School. And then my son, Ethan's a sophomore at ICC. Um, you can go back to the couple's picture if you want. But, you know, I, I think back to when Karen and I first met. Uh, we were in college. We didn't know each other. Uh, we were involved in a campus ministry, a, a, a church for college students. And, and we kind of knew of each other. Uh, we were faces in the crowds. We knew each other's names, things like that. Um, but that was about it. And then all of a sudden, a mutual friend um, connected us. And she said, hey, I, I think you two would, would get along really well. Didn't realize she was setting us up for, for a date and what would become 26 years of marriage. But, you know, we, we began to talk. And then I asked her out on a date. And it was great because I already knew she was going to say yes because my friend told me she was going to say yes. So that's the best way to ask a girl out, a guaranteed yes. And so I asked her out. We went out Friday night. We started hanging out a lot. We started talking a lot, getting to know each other. I mean, we spent a lot of time together. And then came the point where we met each other's families, and I asked her parents if I could marry her, and I put a ring on her finger, and all of a sudden our friendship changed into boyfriend and girlfriend, changed to fiancé, and then we got married you know, stood in front of our family and our friends and, and we declared our vows to each other and, and we're husband and wife. And in 26 years of marriage, I'm still learning more and more about my wife and she is still learning more and more about me. Uh, there's this, this thing that as we spend time with people, uh, as we deepen our relationship with them, we get to know them better, right? Uh, maybe it's not just your spouse. I, I think about my friends. You know, here's a, a picture of some of the guys that, that I spent a lot of time with. And uh, we've gotten to know each other. And we didn't know each other until um, the church. We met each other through church and through men's basketball and, and Bible studies and special events and things like that. And all of a sudden, we started hanging out with each other in each other's homes and, and having meals together. And, and I kind of became this, you know, surrogate uncle to their kids. And, and uh, then all of a sudden, we started taking bike trips together. We were exercising together. We took bike trips together. And now all of a sudden, we're taking family vacations together. And so we're traveling with uh, all of us together. And it's, it's quite the group. It's, it's 10 adults and like 12 or 14 kids. It's, it's pretty intense at times. Um, but, we, you know, it took time to get to know each other. Uh, just like any other relationship. You know, in Great Oaks, we have a new lead pastor, and I, I got to know him first through social media. I heard his name, so I looked him up on, on social media and learned a little bit about him. And then I, I got to see him and, and sit in a room and be a part of the interview process and getting to know him a little bit better that way. And I, I heard him preach, and I watched him lead in our church and getting to know him better that way. And then I invited him to lunch, and just the two of us went out to lunch, and uh, we spent time together. And now we're talking about what does that look like to spend a little more time together, to, to, to serve together, to lead together, um, and to, to just work out together maybe, right? We don't know what's happening, but, but this friendship is developing. 
And we know this reality. The more time we spend with somebody, the deeper our relationship. The more time we open up to them, the deeper our relationship. Have you ever thought about the fact that the same thing happens in our relationship with God? That the more time that we spend with him, the more time we, we try to get to know him and allow him to know us, the deeper our relationship goes. Uh, you know, in Youth for Christ, I work with a lot of students that, that don't know Jesus. Uh, they're, they're on the spectrum of atheist to agnostic. Uh, they, many of them would not feel comfortable walking into a church like this or like my church in Germantown Hills, Great Oaks. And, but they found with us at the Youth Center in Metamora, uh, they found a place where they feel safe, where they feel welcomed, uh, a place where they can, can say, I don't believe what you believe, where they can ask questions and they can raise doubts. Uh, our goal with the Youth for Christ uh, Center in, in Metamora is that we want to be a place where they can belong before they believe what we believe, uh, a place where they can belong before we expect them to behave like uh, Christians behave, because they're not Christians, Right? And they're finding that. I want to share some stories with you about some of these students. I'm going to use pseudonyms because I don't want you to know their real names and, and this is, you know, their stories to tell. And uh, this is a picture of some random students I found on Google. So these aren't even my students, um, but they're just illustrative for my, you know, teaching today. Uh, but we have a student named John. It's not his real name. Uh, but John is a sophomore at Metamora. Does not believe in God. Has a kind of a scientific mindset. And uh, his, his whole thing is, I cannot believe in a God that I can't see, that I can't talk to, right? All the classic arguments. And so we're walking beside John, we're helping him understand uh, what it means to have faith in a God that you can't see. And, and we're seeing John take some steps, and, and you know, I saw him pick up a Bible the other day at our youth center, and, and I walked over, and he was kind of flipping through stuff, trying to find it, and I said, can I help you find something? He's, oh, I'm just kind of looking, and we got to texting later that night, and, and I said, do you read the Bible often? And he goes, I, I've tried in the past, but it gets really confusing, and so I just close it and stop. And I'm like, oh, it's a confusing book. And so we had a great conversation via text about what it means to understand the Bible and, and how to get into it, and kind of guiding him through that. Uh, Jennifer. Um, Jennifer goes by a name other than what her parents gave her, and she's asked us to call us by a different name, and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but she is experiencing tension, healthy tension, spiritual tension. Uh, we were having a group back around Thanksgiving, and, and we were teaching, and uh, I, I saw her talking with one of our staff members in the back room, and, and Jennifer was just crying. And, and I talked with our staff member afterwards, and I said, hey, what, what's going on? And she said, Jennifer told me, she goes, I don't believe what you guys believe. Not even close. Not even an iota of belief in what you guys believe. But I love you guys. And I love being here. Am I welcome here, even though I don't believe what you believe? And we said, absolutely. And I want to talk about Julie. Julie is a student, sophomore, that just had a really rough life. Lots of difficult things have happened to her. Lots of difficult things happened to her family. And, and she broke down the other night. We were teaching. It was Christmas. And I saw her get up and leave. And she walked out of the back of the building. And, and after I was done teaching, I went back and found her. And, and uh, she opened up to me. And she said, I just, I cannot believe in this God you're telling me about. Why would this God allow so much suffering in my life? And just kind of that classic question that we all have to wrestle through at one point. How can a good, loving God allow suffering? 
Uh, but we're, we're finding that, that as we spend time with these students, as we're building this relationship and creating a safe place for them to belong, that they're discovering more about us and they're discovering more about Jesus. And some of you may be there right now. Some of you may be here today and, and you don't believe in the God that we talk about here at New Life. You don't believe in this Jesus. You don't believe in this book. And I just want to say on behalf of Jesse and the staff here, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for, for trusting this church to be a place where you can ask questions, where you can express your doubts, where you can, can grow in your faith. For the rest of us, though, those who have been following Jesus, I want you to think back, just like I asked you to with your spouse or with your best friend. Think back to when your relationship with Jesus first started. What did that look like? How did you, how did you meet Jesus? See, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents uh, didn't believe in, in God. They, they ran into some hypocritical Christians and, and so just said, if that's what church is all about, we're not going to be a part of it. And so we grew up in, in scouting, and scouting is a, a pretty good place to grow up. If you're not going to grow up in the church, scouting is a pretty good place. So, and I loved outdoors. I loved nature. And we lived out in the country, and uh, no lights around other than our house. And I remember as a, a young middle school boy, I would go out to the, the yard at night, and I would lay on my back, and I would look at the stars, and just trying to comprehend infinity, like, how could the galaxy, the universe, just keep going and going and going and going? I, I couldn't wrap my head around it, right? And, but there was something that I began to see in nature where I thought, okay, this can't be by accident. Uh, there's, there's an order here to nature, to uh, what I didn't know as creation at that time, but to nature. Uh, that just makes sense to me. It kind of speaks to there being a higher power. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know uh, what that meant. But I just knew, like, man, there's got to be order out of this chaos, I began to, to go to church with some friends in middle school and high school. They were uh, very faithful in their church attendance and, and engaged in their faith. Um, and I would spend the night at their house on Saturday night. We'd go to church Sunday morning, and I was intrigued. It was a weird place to go, but um, I was intrigued by what I was hearing. I began to learn more about uh, this God of the, the Bible. But I didn't limit my understanding there. I was looking at, I was really seeking things out. I come from a family of philosophers and skeptics. And so we like to ask questions, we like to explore. And I began to look at other religions as well and just trying to, to put my finger on what it was that I believed. Because I believed there was some sort of God, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know who it was. And it began as I discovered through all the, studying all the various religions that, that Christianity was the one that seemed to make the most sense to me. And it began to grow in my understanding of what the scriptures say. And I remember in college, I, I cried out to God and I, I surrendered my life to God. And I ended up at a campus ministry, which is where I met my wife and began that relationship. And I always say, I went to Eastern Illinois and I got a business degree, but I really went to Bible college there in the campus ministry. I mean, it's just tremendous growth in my faith and growing and understanding more and more of this God of the Bible, right? My relationship with him was growing deeper. We became members of a small church in the Chicago suburbs and started to serve there and grow there. And I had a mentor who took me under his wings and began to teach me what it means to, to be a spiritual leader and help me become a pastor. And then I went to seminary. And, and you know, 30 some odd plus years of being in a relationship with God, I have come to know God pretty well. But not fully, not, not completely. And maybe that story is similar to yours. I don't know. Maybe you, you grew up in the church and it's, all, it's just always been a part. Maybe it's been a dramatic moment uh, like it was for me. Uh, but the philosopher in me 
has to pose some questions. As I reflected back on my wife and my relationship and how we started and I reflected back on my relationship with God and and how that all developed, uh, the philosopher in me begs this question. Uh, Can we even know God? Can we even know God? Uh, You know, uh, we are finite mortal beings attempting to understand an infinite immortal being. Is that even possible? St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, born in 354 AD, died in 430 AD, uh, he said this, if you understand him, it would not be God. Uh, Think about that for a moment. If we get to the point where we claim that we understand God, it's no longer God that we're talking about because God is beyond comprehension. And the Bible uh, affirms that. Psalm 145.3 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job 26, 14, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? If you know the story of Job, you know that, that God has allowed everything to be taken away from him. Everything. And, and he's, he's searching answers from God. His wife has actually said, curse God and die. And, you know, great marital support there. Uh, but Job says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But he, he's willing brazenly to ask God some very direct questions, which I don't think God's afraid of. Uh, but in this moment, <clears throat> it began to, to get borderline where God's like, okay, that's enough. And so God in Job 40, I love this moment, uh, the, the table turns and uh, God says to Job, like, okay, hold up, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you questions. Uh, where were you when I created the universe? And where were you when I created light and dark? Where were you when I created land and water, when I set the, the boundaries for the oceans? Where were you when I created these animals? Where were you when I created man? And Job is kind of put back in his place, and he's like, okay, you are bigger than I ever realized. You're beyond comprehension. You are unsearchable. And it would seem that, at first glance, that it is impossible to know God, to really understand God. And yet, we talk about in the church all the time that you can have a personal relationship with God. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament has the audacity to say that we can become friends with God, that God himself considers us friends through Jesus. We see that the, that, uh, the gospel is this, this idea of creating a single, multi-ethnic, multi-generational family of God. Again, the Apostle Paul uses a powerful term. He says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We're no longer strangers, we're no longer outsiders, but we are grafted in, we're adopted in, we are family alongside Jesus. So if that's true, that we can have a personal relationship with God, and I believe it is, if that's true, that we can be friends and family members with this infinite, immortal being that is unsearchable, that is unknowable, that we cannot as human beings wrap our minds around, then that leads me to one conclusion, that God has to take a step towards us. That God says, if if you are to know me, then I must reveal myself to you. You can't understand me, so I must help you understand me. 
Uh, when I went to, to seminary, I learned about uh, this thing called general revelation of God and specific revelation of God. General revelation of God is simply this, this revealing of God in very broad ways. Uh, ways that won't really help you understand who the God is you're talking about, but will help you understand that there is a God. And, and he does that in three ways. Uh, number one is creation. Uh, similar to, to me in that middle school year, laying in the yard, looking at the stars, going, there has to be an order to this chaos. There has to be a God. Uh, creation, the Bible says that God is calling out through creation, revealing himself to us. And also through uh, eternity has been written on our hearts. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes writes that. It says that we have this, this longing for more than this world, a hope for more than this world. Paul David Tripp says that we are hardwired for awe, A-W-E. Think about it, that when you go and stand in front of an ocean or a redwood tree or a mountain or even a flower in central Illinois, like, are you struck by awe of God's creation? And does it compel you to think about God? And maybe you don't know the God that you're thinking about, but, but you're thinking about there is something bigger than me. I also think that general revelation includes this, this innate moral code that God has written on the hearts of all of mankind. Uh, we were at, at Youth for Christ camp a couple years ago and had a student, he was a senior that year, uh, getting ready to graduate and go into the, the Navy and he was gonna study nuclear physics. Uh, incredibly intelligent man, uh, atheist, did not believe in God and, and began to, to form a relationship with him, a friendship and, and I just said, hey, if you ever have questions, let me know. I would love to tackle them. I may not know the answer right off the bat, uh, but I can find answers for you. Uh, but I just, we're here for you as you explore your faith. And so we were sitting one night at camp and he'd been there for a few days and, and uh, discovered that I was a trusted person and we're sitting there in these Adirondack chairs and he goes, Chris, I do have a question for you. And I said, okay, what's that? Uh, where do we get morals from? Where do morals come from? I'd never been asked that question before. And, and so a quick prayer for the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom. And, and I, I said, well, I, I think morals come from a few different places. I, I said, number one, I think our family of origin. I think we're raised in families that teach us morals, and good or bad, and, and we're not judging that, but just they teach us morals. I, I think our communities that we grow up in uh, teach us morals. I, I think we can have external influences. And, and at that point, I said, you know, for example, Christianity will teach you morals that, that might counteract what your parents taught you, actually, and what your community teaches you. And I said, but then beyond that, I said, I, I think that God, and again, I'm just trying to help this guy who's going to study nuclear physics understand that there is a creator out there uh, that, that supersedes everything else. And I said, I, th I think also that God has written an innate moral code on our hearts. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I think regardless of family of origin, regardless of your culture, regardless of external influences, I, I think God has taught us already to know what good and evil are. And he said, well, give me an example. And I said, okay, if I say the names Hitler and Mother Teresa, anybody that knows those two names, knows their stories, automatically knows that one is good and one is evil. And it doesn't depend, doesn't rely on whether you believe in Jesus or not. It doesn't matter really what your parents taught you. It doesn't matter what your community taught you. We just know as we learn their stories, wow, one is good, one is evil. I said, that's God. God has written that on all of mankind. And that's one of the places where I think morals come from. I, I don't know if he's accepted Christ. He went on to the Navy. I've lost track and touch with him. But, but I'm hoping that through general revelation that he's beginning to consider that there might be a God. But I think not only general, but specific revelation. 
God has, has decided to take steps towards us to reveal himself to us so we can know him. Uh, just like we were talking about our relationships with spouses and friends. Uh, he's done that in a few different ways. Number one is scripture. Uh, this book is not just some fairy tale book written, uh, but this is the inspired word of God and the, the intent of it is for us to know God and for, for us to draw into relationship with him. Uh, he's done that through Jesus as well. Jesus is God with us, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. I love the way John uh, 1.14 in the message paraphrase uh, says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood and dwelled among us, right? God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. And then also through the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is revealing truth to us uh, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I think we can begin to understand God, but only because he has taken steps to reveal himself to us. But then the philosopher in me asks another question. Why? Why does God even want a relationship with us? Why does God desire a relationship with mankind? It's the ultimate question that we have to answer today. Why would an infinite, immortal God want to be in relationship with finite, mortal beings? I would say to you today that it has been his plan, his desire, since the beginning of time. I, I want to walk through just with some broad sweeps through Genesis to Revelation. I, I want to illustrate for you that God has been moving towards us more and more every step of the way. If you know the story, you know Genesis 1 and 2 begins with the creation of the world and the creation of Eden. and It's a perfect world. And God has created Adam and Eve and he's placed them there. There's no sin, there's no evil, there's no darkness, there's no death. And he's given them one, one rule, one thing to obey. I mean, and if you know the story, you know that they, they don't end up obeying that, right? But in this, there's this moment in Genesis 3, which I love, uh, which says that, that God was walking in the garden in the afternoon looking for Adam and Eve. God was not this remote, distant being. He didn't create the Garden of Eden and create Adam and Eve and place them there and then say, see you later, have a nice life, you know, I'm out. No, he was engaging with them. He would walk in the garden with them. It's a beautiful picture of God's relationship with Adam and Eve. And yet in this moment, they've disobeyed and that relationship has, has suffered some consequences. And they're hiding, they, they hide themselves from God. And he, he ends up what we call punishing them. And yet I, I heard a pastor say one time that God's decision to remove Adam and Eve was the greatest act of love that he could have done in that moment. And he went on to explain, he said, remember there's two trees in the garden uh, that they could, they, one they could eat of and one they couldn't. The one tree they could eat of was a tree of eternal life to spend eternity with God. One was the knowledge of good and evil and they ate from the knowledge of good and evil and they were now separated from God. And God feared that if they went and ate of the tree of eternal life, they would be eternally separated from him. And so he took away the opportunity for them to eat of that tree so that he could initiate a rescue plan. And so he cast them out, but then he didn't abandon them. He continued to step towards them. He began a covenant with Abraham, and that developed into the people of Israel. And when they were in slavery in Egypt, he moved towards them. He sent Moses to rescue them. And as they wandered in the wilderness, he was there with them in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And he instituted what he called the tabernacle, uh, which means God dwelling with them. It's, it's being present with the nation of Israel. And he was with them in the wilderness. And he, he gave them the hope of the promised land, which was another garden type place to live. 
And then the tabernacle moved into the temple where God resided physically present with the nation of Israel. And then we had the poets and the prophets on the, and all through the Old Testament pointing the nations of Israel back towards God. And then we see God take that step of leaving the throne room of heaven in the form of Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, chose to become human, to dwell among us, Roman, or John 1.14, to be present with his people, to live in the neighborhood, to die on the cross, to pay that ultimate sin that we ourselves could not pay. We couldn't step into that space. Only God could. And so he did because he desires a relationship with us. And then Jesus says this odd thing at one point, And he says, I must go so the Holy Spirit may come. These guys didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. And they thought this was the greatest thing. What do you mean, Jesus? You're here with us. He says, no, there's somebody that's going to be even more important for you to come. And God gave us the Holy Spirit, the third person, the Trinity, present in our lives when we obey, when we surrender. God has been continually moving towards us, desiring a relationship with us. There is something unique about mankind that God has done for us, that he, something he's not done for anything else that he's created. And then we see this beautiful picture in Revelation, in chapter 21, near the end of the book. Remember, God has been moving towards us constantly to, to dwell with us, to be among us. And then in Revelation 21, uh, we read these words. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a, a loud voice from the throne. Look. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. In other places in Revelation, it talks about there is no need for the sun because God's presence illuminates everything, provides all the light that we need. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to some students. Uh, we talked earlier about Marvel and Loki. I was talking to some students at Youth for Christ the other day, and it was the, our Christmas talk. And again, we're talking with students who don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in the Bible, and I'm trying to help them you know, consider the fact that there is a God who loves them. Help them understand this natural uh, eternity written on our hearts that God has provided for us. And so I posed the question, you know, how many of you, you like superheroes, and we talked about Marvel and DC and pros and cons of each and all that, and and, as, and I, I posed this question. I said, have you ever wondered why we like superheroes so much? What is it about them that draws us towards them, that compels us to love the heroes and, and to, to fight back against the villains? I said, is it possible that God has written on our hearts a desire for justice over injustice? That God has written on our hearts a desire for good to win out over evil? And that, that perhaps, and I challenged the students that night, perhaps Jesus is that superhero that you have been longing for and you just never even realized it. Would you consider that? Just planting seeds in these students' hearts. Planting seeds in our hearts today. Maybe it's been a while since you really sat back and thought about how much God is pursuing you. And not just a one-time thing, but your entire life. He wants more and more of you. 
and he is moving towards you more and more. And, and we cannot comprehend the, the unknowable, unsearchable God, and yet God chooses to reveal himself to us, to be in relationship with us. You know, I've got a, another student that I thought about as I prepared this message. This was when I was uh, a student pastor at Great Oaks, and we were ready to kick off our high school night that particular Sunday night, and I walked past her in the hallway. She was sitting by herself, and, and uh, a little bit of tears, and I paused, and I said, hey, what's going on? And she began to, to just share about all of this stuff that's going on in her life and how much she felt unloved and unworthy. And she talked about abuse that she'd gone through, even at the hands of family members. And she just broke down. And, and as I encouraged her, as I counseled her, one of the things that I said to her, and I wanted her to begin to see herself through a new lens. And I said, do you understand that you are made in the image of God, that you have infinite worth, so much so that, that God left the throne room of heaven in the form of Jesus and died on the cross so that you could be in right relationship with God. That is how much you mean to him. That's how much worth that you have. I, I don't care what the world says about you. I don't care what your family and your friends say about you. That is what God says about you. And I needed her to hold on to that truth. And for some of us today, we need to be reminded of that truth. That God loves us so much that he is continuously pursuing us. It's January 2nd. The day that we all have broken our New Year's resolutions, right? Lasted for about 24 hours. It was great 24 hours. I want to challenge you. I don't know what your resolutions are this year, but I want to challenge you to put at the top of the list to step towards this unknowable, unsearchable God, knowing that he has taken numerous steps towards you. That your goal this year is to become more and more and more like Jesus. That you begin to, to be Jesus with skin on in this world. That you become the hands and feet and when you find that you're, you're far from God, when you find that, that you're messing things up, that you repent, then you turn back and you start over because our God gives us a thousand different chances, a million new, new mornings, right? And would you, would you let that be your resolution this year? To know God and to be known by God. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.